Well, good morning, Plum Creek. It's good to see all of you here today. I also want to say hi to everybody who's watching online. Thanks for joining us on this Memorial Day weekend. I've been thinking a lot about Memorial Day this week. And as Troy was talking about, this is a time when we remember those who sacrificed their lives to serve our country. And it's a, it's a day when uh, we have gratitude. It's also a day when we grieve. And you know, our country has another reason to grieve this week. I don't want to take anything away from the original meaning of Memorial Day, but I also want to remember and grieve over those who died in yet another mass shooting. We grieve with the families who lost a loved one, and every loss of life is tragic, but my heart especially goes out to those parents who lost a child this week. Romans chapter 15 tells us to mourn with those who mourn. So I wanted to take a moment this morning and pray and ask God to give the peace and the comfort that only He can give. So let's pray. Father, we look to You right now. We realize that You are the only one with real solutions to our problems. Lord, we, we live in a broken world. And Lord, I ask that You would be especially present with those who are grieving this morning. I pray that they would look to you and find the peace and the comfort that is available only from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us as a church to show your love and, and bring that comfort to others. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in this world, on earth as it is in heaven. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We do live in a broken world. There is a lot of darkness here. But despite all the darkness, we worship a God who has overcome this world. And so we look to Him, and we look to His Word, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. I hope you're ready to jump back into a good story today. Uh, we're spending a few weeks looking at the life of Joseph. And this is Old Testament Joseph, and I'm excited about today's part of the story because we're going to learn some practical lessons that will help us conquer temptation. I want to give you a heads up, though, this sermon is probably rated PG, because uh, this is the part of the story where Joseph is confronted with sexual temptation. And if you have a young child with you right now, and you'd rather not have them listen to this sermon, you are welcome to take them over to Kids Town and check them in there. Uh, like I said, we won't go beyond PG, but I will mention the existence of sex, so I wanted to give you that option. But having said that, let's check in on Joseph. Today we're going back to the book of Genesis, and this time we'll go to Genesis chapter 39. And by this point, a lot of things have already happened in Joseph's life. But if you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, uh, we're still going to jump right in because I'm sure you'll be able to catch up. So let's read Genesis 39, starting with verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now let's make sure we're all caught up. Why was Joseph taken down to Egypt? Well, the short answer is his brothers were jerks, that's why. Uh, Joseph was one of 12 sons, and his 
father, Jacob, made it very clear that Joseph was the favorite son. I mean, it was painfully obvious. And Joseph's brothers were very angry, very jealous about that favoritism. Uh, one of the ways that Jacob's, Jacob made it clear was with the gift of a coat. Now, we're using a timeline of Joseph's life uh, in this series as a frame of reference, and we'll back up and, and see where we've been so far. In week one, we talked about that coat, that symbol of the favoritism of Jacob toward Joseph. And then, of course, Joseph's brothers, they were jealous and angry. They were ready to kill Joseph, but they didn't quite kill him. They actually threw him into a pit, and the plan was to leave him for dead, but they didn't quite leave him for dead. Another brother named Judah, he came up with a different plan. He said, guys, let's not leave Joseph to die. Let's sell him into slavery. And when a group of Ishmaelite tra traders happened by, the brothers cut a deal. They sold Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Joseph's life took a sharp downward turn, and he began life as a slave in Egypt, this faraway land. And that's where we left off last week, but let's not forget, as we go through the life of Joseph, we want to keep two questions in mind. Question number one is this, what difference does it make when you truly believe that God is with you? And here's question number two. What difference does it make when you truly believe that God will eventually set things right if you keep trusting Him? Now, these two questions are extremely important because if you really believe that God is with you through whatever is happening in your life and you truly believe that God will set things right if you keep trusting Him, you will have a hope that other people just don't have. And you will make decisions that other people just won't make. But we could also be realistic. Sometimes it's difficult to hold on to these beliefs. For example, what if you're Joseph? What if you're unfairly attacked by your own brothers and then sold like a piece of property? How do you keep trusting God in that circumstance? Well, this is a big lesson that we learned from this story. We learn that even while Joseph was in the midst of suffering, somehow he was still blessed by God. We just saw that in verse 2. Let's read it again. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, hold on. Let's think about this for a second. On the one hand, God is blessing Joseph. He's, he caused Joseph to prosper. But that doesn't change the fact that Joseph is still a slave. He, he's living far from home, the land of Egypt, far from his father. And I could picture Joseph saying, seriously, God, this is your idea of blessing me? How about we use my definition of blessing instead of yours? But that's the whole point. What difference does it make if you really believe that God is with you and you really believe that ultimately he will work everything together for good? Well, we see this in Joseph's life. Joseph's life is a perfect illustration that even though God is working for our good, he often doesn't do what we want when we want. 
And when that happens, when God doesn't deliver us from our trials according to our will and our schedule, that's when our faith gets tested. And Joseph's faith was definitely being tested here. But at the same time, we have to admit that God was blessing Joseph in amazing ways. First, when Joseph was sold as a slave, who eventually bought him? This man named Potiphar. And who was this guy? Well, Potiphar wasn't just some random person. He was extremely significant in the land of Egypt. He held an office called the Captain of the Guard. Now, he may have been Pharaoh's bodyguard. He may have been the chief executioner. We don't exactly know, but the bottom line is Potiphar was very successful and very wealthy. And uh, as a slave in Potiphar's house, Joseph would have lived in extravagant conditions. He wasn't, he wasn't out there building pyramids in the hot sun. He served in one of the most important households in one of the greatest empires on earth. Joseph was blessed. But it went even beyond that point. Look at what happened next. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, did you catch that? When Potiphar saw that Joseph's God was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So the blessings just kept on coming. All, all of a sudden, Joseph had risen to the top of the ladder in Potiphar's house. He was the boss. Now, how did that happen? Well, we need to pay attention here. This blessing never would have happened if Joseph had turned away from God. Think about it. Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. But what did Potiphar know about Joseph's God? He was an Egyptian. His religion was all about worshiping mythological gods like Ra and Isis and Anubis, etc. Egyptians had no concept of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So because of that, we can assume that Potiphar heard about Joseph's God from Joseph himself. And naturally, Potiphar wanted to be blessed by Joseph's God, so he promoted Joseph. And at first, everything worked out great. Joseph was blessed, and Potiphar and his whole household were blessed. Uh, already, Joseph is showing us what can happen when a person keeps trusting God, even when things get tough. Unfortunately, though, Joseph's trials are just beginning. His faith is about to be tested in a completely different way. And here comes the sexual temptation I was telling you about. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And pause right here for a second. It's, it's rare that the Bible describes someone's physical appearance. But when that happens, it's usually because it's relevant to the story. And that's definitely true here. Uh, this directly relates to the plot. So let's keep reading. Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her. 
My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. And she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So here we are introduced to a new character in the story, Potiphar's wife. Now, when I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, I heard the story of Joseph a lot. And my teachers would often use a visual aid called a flannel graph. Uh, Some of you are familiar with a flannel graph. Uh, It was a felt board that had lots of these stick-on felt characters, and you could attach these characters to the board and tell a Bible story. It was kind of cool. But it's interesting. Whenever I heard the story of Joseph, they never had a funny little version of Potiphar's wife. They skipped right over that part of the story. It's interesting. Um, They're happy to tell you the violent parts, but they usually left out the sex. But I'm glad this story is in here because it's so relevant. Joseph was presented with a powerful temptation. Actually, multiple temptations on multiple occasions. And he resisted every time. Now, it's important to know that Genesis pulls no punches when describing these old biblical characters. Uh, You can look at Joseph's father, Jacob, his grandfather, Isaac, his great-grandfather, Abraham. All of them were guilty of moral failure. And we get to read all about it. Uh, There's no whitewashed treatment for these guys. In fact, we skipped over Genesis chapter 38, where Joseph's brother, Judah, is guilty of a serious sexual sin. If you you think the Bible is boring, just read that chapter. But the point is, if Joseph had given in to temptation, we would read about it here. But he did not give in, even though that temptation must have been very strong. Joseph was a single man, probably in his late teens or early 20s. And Potiphar's wife was not only a powerful woman, She was probably very attractive, probably much younger than Potiphar because that's how those ancient rich guys rolled at that time. So how did Joseph resist? Especially considering the fact that he was far from home, far from the place where he learned to follow the true God. I mean, even his relatives and ancestors gave in to temptation. So how did Joseph resist? And what can we learn here about how to conquer temptation. You know, all of us know what it's like to be tempted. We're in this together. And this week as I read about Joseph, I got to thinking, what makes a person give in to temptation? And then what makes a person stay strong and resist? Well, I wanted to get some insight on this topic, so I asked a group of men here at Plum Creek if they would help me with today's sermon. And I emailed these guys and I asked them a question. In the battle to conquer temptation, especially in your area of greatest weakness, what has helped you the most? And then I gave them several action steps to choose from. 
So what do you find most helpful? Is it building barriers and firewalls to keep you away from temptation? Is it uh, thinking about the short-term and or long-term consequences of sin? Is it praying to God and asking for strength and victory? Is it having another person who will hold you accountable? Is it filling your life with other pursuits that take your focus away from temptation? Or is it turning to Scripture for encouragement? Basically, it was a multiple-choice question. And it was interesting. Prayer was the number one answer, but all of those options received multiple votes. And as I read these responses, here was my takeaway. Everyone is different, and everyone's the same. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, everyone is different in some ways. The option that is the most helpful to you might be different than the one that's most helpful to me. But everyone is also the same. You may have your favorite, but all of these action steps are important in the fight against temptation. So in the time we have left, I want to give you an overall strategy that incorporates all of these action steps. And this strategy draws lessons from the life of Joseph, but also from the rest of the Bible. So here we go. A strategy for conquering temptation. Here's where you start. Number one, decide where you stand before temptation arrives. Now, there are only so many ways a person can be tempted. And the Bible says no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So it's going to be in one of these arenas. Sex, money, power, honesty, anger, laziness, pride, or several other categories, but there really aren't very many. And when you think about your own life, you probably know which category is your greatest weakness. And one thing we can learn from Joseph is to have a premeditated response. Joseph had thought through the the consequences and implications of adultery well before Pharaoh's wife walked up and said, come to bed with me. You you don't want to be sorting out your convictions when she's standing right in front of you and she's stepping toward you and you're smelling her perfume. That's not the time to be thinking this over. But there is an alternative to what Joseph did. You can wait until the moment when the gravitational pull is just too strong. But especially in the area of sexual temptation, there is a physiological process that complicates your decision-making. When I was in youth ministry, I talked to so many students who would ask, how far is too far with my girlfriend? How far is too far with my boyfriend? Where is the line? And uh, it's kind of funny, the whole idea of a line, it's just silliness. Because if you think you can go all the way up to the line and, and let your engine start revving like a race car and then hope to have a clear enough head not to cross the line, I'm sorry, that's just not going to happen. So no, in the moments when you're thinking clearly, like maybe right now, you have to make the decision that you're not going to get anywhere near the line. And then maybe an even more important step is you've got to know why those boundaries are there in the first place. And that leads us to another powerful example from Joseph. It's the second part of our strategy. Determine what's at stake. When Joseph was tempted... He kept the big picture in mind. He thought beyond the moment, out to the consequences, short-term and long-term. 
You know, there is no harmless sin. When we sin, there will always be consequences. You will harm others, and you'll also harm yourself. So Joseph, he understood that if he slept with this woman, he would hurt Potiphar deeply. This man who trusted him, this man who had done so much for him. Joseph also knew that he would bring harm to himself. It's very likely that he would lose his job, maybe go to jail, maybe be killed. But then the biggest question for Joseph was this. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew that if he gave in to Potiphar's wife, he would not only disgrace the God that he served, he would also bring deep grief to the God that he served. Joseph kept all of these consequences in mind. One of the men who responded to my email shared some of his personal story, and I want to read you some of what he wrote. He said, Unfortunately, I have some close firsthand experience with what decisions and consequences can lead to. My father was that example. He left our family years ago after multiple affairs. We haven't seen him, and honestly, we don't want to see him at all. He made some awful decisions, and he will have to eternally live with them. And he will miss out on all his kids' and grandchildren's lives. And seeing that all play out has basically put a permanent block for me to make sure I never put anyone through that in my life. I appreciated my friend sharing that. And I also appreciate that he is breaking the cycle. He's not following that bad example. We need to think through the consequences. There's a Christian author named Randy Alcorn. Uh, Randy came up with an exercise that I think is, is very good. He, he, he thought of his greatest temptation, and then he sat down and he wrote out all the possible consequences that would come if he gave in. I'll give you just a few examples of his list. Randy said, if I gave in to sexual temptation, I would be taking the name of Jesus, the one who redeemed me, and dragging his name into the mud. I'd be following in the footsteps of the many people who forfeited their ministries through their immorality. And then he wrote down specific names. I would be inflicting untold hurt on Nancy, my best friend and loyal wife, losing her respect and trust. I'd be hurting my beloved daughters, Karina and Angie, losing credibility with them. And then one day, I would have to look Jesus, the righteous judge, in the face and give an account of my actions. You know, the stakes are always higher than they seem in the moment. We can't just think about ourselves. We need to think about everyone who is affected by our decisions. Here's a third part of our strategy for conquering temptation. Simply get away as quickly as possible. In Genesis 39, verse 10, we saw that Potiphar's wife propositioned Joseph day after day after day. And he did more than just refuse her request. As much as possible, he wouldn't even be in the same room with her. Unfortunately, though, Joseph couldn't avoid her forever because he had to do his job. And one day, Joseph and Potiphar's wife were all alone in the house. And if there ever was a time when it seemed like he could get away with sin, this was it. So she drew in very close, close enough to grab his cloak. And what did Joseph do? 
He didn't stand there and explain his convictions again. He didn't hesitate. He just cut and run. You know, that gravitational pull gets stronger and stronger in the moment. And Joseph didn't let that happen. He got out of there. In the New Testament, there is a very simple command for followers of Christ who are facing sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Just four words. Flee from sexual immorality. Run away. Flee. Do a Joseph. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can be strong enough in the moment. Don't walk up to that line and think that you won't cross it. Several years ago, a Christian singer named Mandisa won two Grammy Awards. One Grammy was for Best Christian Song of the Year, and the other was for Best Christian Album. However, when the time came for the awards show, Mandisa wasn't there. She didn't show up. She was at home watching the awards online. And naturally, many people asked why she didn't attend, and she felt like she should give them an answer. So she gave several reasons why she skipped the ceremony, but I want to read you her last reason. Mandisa said, Both times I have gone to the Grammys, I have witnessed performances I wish I could erase from my memory. And yes, I fast-forwarded through several performances this year. But my reason is not because of them. It's because of me. I have been struggling with being in the world, not of it, lately. And I have fallen prey to the alluring pull of flesh and pride and selfish desires quite a bit recently. If you ask me, that's a great response. Because she didn't pass judgment on anyone else. She said, my reason is not about them, it's about me. And what was she doing there? She was pulling a Joseph. She chose to flee from sexual immorality and other temptations. A wise person is humble enough to say, I am not strong enough to resist every temptation on my own. And that takes us to the last and most important part of our strategy. If we want to conquer temptation, we need to invite God into the moment. Remember what Joseph said? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Potiphar's wife was probably thinking, why are you bringing your God into this? This is between you and me. But of course, that wasn't true. Joseph knew it. And remember those two big questions. What difference does it make if you really believe that God is with you all the time? And what difference does it make if you know that God will eventually set things right if you keep trusting him? In the moment of temptation, Joseph put his trust in God. And that's exactly what we need to do. And there are at least three ways we can do that. First, we need to trust God's principles. So where are you on this? Do you trust that God's principles and standards are true and right and good and all for the best? Because if you believe that, especially in the area of sex, you will look like an alien in this world. Think about that simple command, flee from sexual immorality. What does the phrase sexual immorality refer to? Well, we've talked about this in the past. That phrase is translated from the Greek word pornea. Pornea. And that word refers to any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Now, sex is a gift from God. 
it was his idea, and it was a good idea. He wanted to bless us with this gift. However, this gift came with instructions. Sex is to be enjoyed only within the safety and confines of a marriage relationship. God does not want us to pursue the pleasure of sex without the promise of a marriage covenant. You know, Satan has hijacked the idea of sex in our world. But God's design has never changed. And when the world goes the opposite direction, trusting in God means trusting in his principles and standards. Here's another way to invite God into the moment of temptation. Trust in God's power, not your own willpower. If you are a follower of Christ, God put his Holy Spirit in you. And he won't, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, God will give you a way out. He will give you the strength to resist temptation. But you have to depend on the power of the Spirit. And Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember what we said about Joseph? When you compare him to a lot of the other characters in the book of Genesis, he really stands out. And it's very interesting. Joseph is the only person in Genesis who is described as being full of the Spirit. And he's also the one who shows us how to conquer temptation. That's no coincidence. Help comes from the Holy Spirit. But now, in practical terms, how do we get that help? Well, we can go back to those action steps I mentioned earlier. Pray to God for strength. Immerse yourself in the truth of Scripture. Find that accountability partner, someone who will check up on you, knows where you're strong and knows where you're weak. In my experience, especially with men, we may see the value in having that accountability, but we often don't do the hard work of finding an accountability partner and then being open and vulnerable. And that brings up a bigger issue. God will provide all the help that we need, but that help doesn't always come easy. God may call you to make some radical decisions. And that's what Joseph did, right? As much as possible, he refused to even be in the same room with Potiphar's wife. One of the Plum Creek guys told me that he takes a similar approach. He won't be alone with any woman besides his wife, and that's just smart. So what are some other radical steps that God may lead you to take? Well, this would vary from one person to another, but be ready because your step may seem pretty difficult. Maybe you stop going to certain places. Stop hanging out with certain people. Maybe you delete an app on your phone. Or maybe you do the unthinkable and switch your smartphone out for an old flip phone. Now, I know that sounds extreme, and I'm not telling you exactly what God is calling you to do, but I can tell you this. When you truly put your life in God's hands, you can't hold anything back. You can't say, God, you can have all of me except for X and Y and Z and so on. Now, trust in God. It's not always easy. But if we want to conquer temptation, this is the heart of the issue. We need to trust God's principles. We need to trust in His power. And one last thing, we need to trust God's plan. And this may be the toughest step of all. 
when Joseph was living as a slave in Egypt, it, it would have been so easy to doubt God or turn away from him. He could have said, well, it seems like God has forgotten me, so I might as well do whatever I want. But jo Joseph chose to trust. He chose to be faithful. And then how did God reward him for that? Well, this is another crazy plot twist. Potiphar's wife took that cloak from Joseph, brought it to her husband, and said, hey, this Hebrew slave tried to jump me. What are you going to do about it? And in Genesis 39, 19, Potiphar burned with anger. And then look at verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself in another pit. And uh, he could have said, oh, come on, God, I did the right thing. I'm being punished for doing the exact thing I did not do. How is this fair? Oh, you want me to keep trusting you? You want me to count my blessings? Okay, well, thank you for putting me in the special prison, the one for the king's prisoners. You know, the Bible doesn't have any record of Joseph being angry or sarcastic. Here's what the Bible does say, though. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph knew that God was with him. He knew that one day God would set things right. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, that's exactly what's going to happen. So how about you today? Are you trusting in God? Are you trusting his plan? Because I want to encourage you. God's plan includes you. Even if you're sitting here today and you have regret or remorse over some time when you gave in to temptation, God's plan includes you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus paid for my sin and your sin when he went to the cross. And if you put your trust in him, you can be forgiven. You can get a clean slate. God will clean up the mess, and then he'll give you the strength to be the person that you need to be. I'm really thankful for Joseph, because he shows us that with God's help, we can resist temptation. Most of all, I'm thankful for Jesus, because Jesus shows us that even while we were sinners, God never gave up on us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's real and raw and relevant to our lives. And Lord, I thank you for the good news here that it's possible to resist temptation with your strength. It's, it's possible to grow to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will grow in that way, that we will follow wherever you lead, do the hard things, make the hard decisions, and keep the bigger picture in mind. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.